God bless you. Please be seated. Join with me in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus in chapter 4. And I want to, as you're turning there, ask you a question. What's become of all the Bible studies? And what's become of all the sermons? And what's become of all the Christian literature? And maybe even the radio broadcast that you've heard through the years. Has anything happened as a result of exposure to all of that truth? Anything at all? Uh, Manly Beasley was preaching one time to a group of preachers. And as he was preaching, he abruptly closed his Bible. And he said, I'm going to stop there now because you know more than what you're living up to now. And he stepped down and would not expose them to any more truth. And he made a good point there. It is a very, very difficult thing. In fact, it's a dangerous thing before God to be exposed to truth and not to deliberately apply it, not to have a plan to apply the truth of God. And the problem that Manly Beasley was pointing towards is what we will find in Exodus chapter 4, and that is the problem of a hardened heart, a heart that has been exposed to so much truth, where so much truth has passed over that heart, it's like an axe or a shovel in a bare hand. So much interaction with it that calluses develop over the heart. Something like a callus develops over the heart. And the person grows increasingly insensitive towards God. And so instead of biblical truth making one closer to God, they actually feel more distant from God as a result of exposure to truth. Instead of more power, instead of more insight, instead of more strength, instead of more guidance, there is less of each of these things because of exposure to truth without deliberate application. Well, what is a hard heart? Well, there are two ways to describe it. One is a hard heart is an exposure problem. And, and I just alluded to that just a moment ago. A hard heart is the result of being exposed to truth and not deliberately applying it in one's life. But there's a second way to describe it. It is not only an exposure problem. Because it's an exposure problem, it is a church problem. People without Bibles don't have this problem. People that have no access to Christian literature and do not read Christian books do not have this problem. People that have no study Bibles, who do not attend Bible studies or small groups, they do not have this problem. This is a church problem. The danger of a hardened heart, the danger of a hardened heart is the problem of the person with the study Bible, the problem of a person that attends small group meetings, the problem of a person that enjoys sermons, you see, but does not have a plan to deliberately apply and obey the Word of God. Pharaoh is one such person. Moses exposes him to the truth of God. He does not obey it instantly, and he develops a hard heart. Now, Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 says God will harden his heart, and later it says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Well, how do you make sense of that? Well, it's very simple. Pharaoh intentionally and deliberately resisted obedience to the word of God from Moses, and he did it so often God finally hardened his heart 
so he'd never have to do it again. And he used that hard heart to glorify himself in the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and his provision for Israel. Esau was such a person. The author of Hebrews will say in Hebrews 12 that he sought repentance but was denied even though he sought it with tears. So the hard heart is an exposure problem. It is a church problem. It is the problem of a person that exposes himself or herself to truth but has no plan to deliberately apply the word of God. And I want you to look with me at an example of that in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21. And we'll look at chapter 5 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 this morning at Pharaoh's example of a hard heart. And it says there in verse number 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Moses is appearing before Pharaoh on multiple occasions. He's declaring God's word, let my people go. And Pharaoh does not obey it, and he ends up with a hardened heart. Well, what are some marks of a hard heart? Let me give you several marks of a hard heart that arise from the text. Number one, unbending. Unbending. God's word is presented, and the hard heart will not bend or conform to it. Look at chapter 5 and beginning in verse 1. This is Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh does not bend to the truth. Instead, he retaliates against Moses and against the truth by making life more difficult for the Israelites. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Well, that's what happens. They go before Pharaoh, and that's precisely what happens. Now look at verse number 6. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before." You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. What's going on here? Well, it's very simple. Moses has gone before Pharaoh and said, Here is the word of God. Let the people go. Pharaoh will not bend to the truth. Instead, he retaliates against Moses and Aaron and the Jews. And he says... Give them more work to do. Don't gather any more straw, which was a material of making brick with some clay. Let them gather their own straw, but with that additional work, do not lower the quota. In fact, put more work on the men as a result. And that is precisely what happened in the text. And so the Jews end up bearing a greater burden. Pharaoh heard the word of God. He did not bend to it. Instead, he retaliated. That can happen sometimes in Christian marriages where the wife makes, points out a character flaw of a husband or even of children in a family and they get angry. Instead of bending and yielding to the truth of that counsel, that's what they do. That can happen with the father's direction too. He ends up giving a word and some insight and the wife or the children become insulted. That can happen in sermons as well. Instead of 
conforming to the Word of God and bending to the Word of God, people just become sometimes angry. I've not faced that a lot in my ministry, but I have faced it on some occasions. In fact, let me ask you, have you ever heard anyone say, it doesn't matter what you say, what matters is how you say it. Whenever you hear that, you've heard a half-truth because, folks, make no mistake about it, it matters what you say. It matters the truth of what we say. It does not matter how much lipstick and how much makeup and how much perfume you put on a lie and how, a, how attractive it may be. It is still a lie. And so what you've heard there is a half-truth, but maybe also evidence of a hardened heart. Ladies and gentlemen, the better approach is Psalms 141, verse 5, where David cried out and said, Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me, and I will consider it as excellent oil. Let the righteous strike me. Let the righteous rebuke me. I'll think of it as a kindness. I will take it as a deliberate act of kindness. I will take it like a cologne or a perfume, as a gift, in fact. So let the righteous strike me, I'll consider it a kindness. Let him rebuke me, and I will consider it as a cologne, a perfume, or as an excellent oil. Listen to me carefully. Do not surround yourself for the rest of your life with yes people. If you are in any kind of leadership, whether in a family or in a place of work or wherever it is, make sure that you've got people around you who are not only supportive and sympathetic, and they have a bias in favor of you. But make sure they are strong and independent in their thinking enough to get in your face and tell you you are going the wrong direction. That is how we end up growing. We don't grow by surrounding ourselves with people who are so weak that they will only agree with us even when we embrace a foolish notion. Unbending is the first mark of a hardened heart. Hey, but there's more. Not only unbending, but there's a second mark, and it's found in chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, and that is undiscerning. No discernment. Unable to tell the difference between truth and error, right and wrong, and uh, those kinds of things. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, look there with me about how Pharaoh had no discernment. A couple of the miracles are performed here. Some of them are done by God, but there's some of them done by the enemy by demonic powers and demonic forces, beginning in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you and says, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But... Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Well, that made no impression on Pharaoh at all. Look at verse 13. Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So God performs a miracle with a shepherd's staff or a rod of Aaron. He throws it down, it turns into a serpent. The magicians and sorcerers in Pharaoh's court, empowered by demonic forces, do the same with their rods, and they turn into serpents. And what is completely lost on Pharaoh, because he has no discernment between a thing of God and a thing of the enemy, no discernment between right and wrong, what is lost upon him is that 
Aaron's single rod swallows up and eliminates all the rods of the sorcerers and magicians in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh is unmoved by that astounding defeat of the rod of God, which was in Aaron's hand. He has no discernment. He can't tell what is from God and what is from the enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, his descendants live with us today. There are some that are completely mystified why Bible-believing Christians cannot affirm every religion in the world. Well, why can't you just be at peace with Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam? Well, we are, by the way, and we're not fighting each other that I'm aware of anywhere in the world, at least Christians launching attacks on them. That's not what I mean. But as far as affirming them for their beliefs and their truths, despite the fact that they minimize who Jesus is, despite the fact that they have a terrible definition of God, despite the fact that all of their systems of eternal bliss are based on works, despite the fact that there is no firm commitment to the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, are you kidding me? We cannot affirm that because the, 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 there are some high stakes here. It's God or Satan, heaven or hell, righteousness or evil. There is no way that we can affirm that, although we would affirm everyone's religious liberty and freedom of conscience in those matters. Some people are just mystified by that. Why we don't claim that all of those that claim to be Christian are necessarily Christian but are abhorrent Christian cults because they minimize who Jesus is. Why we don't affirm liberal Christianity and its rejection of biblical authority and biblical truth. They're just entirely mystified by that. Well, there's no discernment there. No discernment and that may evidence a hardened heart. Same is true when it comes to not only theology but morals. Why do you have a problem with that television program? Why do you have a problem with that Netflix theory, uh, uh, series? Well, why shouldn't I binge watch this particular uh, series? Well, why is it that you've got a problem with that kind of music? You may be dealing with a hard heart. Ladies and gentlemen, when it's so flagrantly anti-God, anti-truth, and anti-righteousness, and people are mystified why we'd have a problem with that, we might be dealing with a hardened heart. It can manifest itself not only in theology and morals, it can manifest itself in words as well. Well, you're too strict. You're too rigid. You're a fundamentalist. Or you're a Pharisee. Those kinds of name-calling. You're dictatorial. You're, you're a control freak. We may be dealing with a hardened heart when things are anti-God, anti-truth, anti-righteousness, and a person doesn't have the discernment necessary to tell the truth between the two. And so, undiscerning. But there's a third mark, and that is unmoved. Unmoved by God's work. That happens in chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. What Moses does here is that he raises his rod, he strikes the waters of the Nile River, and it and the fresh waters and water supply of Egypt turn into blood. And I want you to notice Pharaoh's response in verse number 23. This is just astounding, but we'll begin reading in verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Moses has just ruined the water supply of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. That's the last thing Pharaoh wanted, but they did it anyway. 
And it goes on to say in verse 22, And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. In other words, there is an obvious act of God. God does something powerful and obvious in their midst, and Pharaoh is unmoved by it. He just turns and walks casually away like nothing happened at all that day. Some people do this whenever the power of God shows up. They start daydreaming in, in the church. They get impatient with the invitation and the length of the service. They get more excited about the screen on their phone than the Word of God when the morning begins. You'll have a church service where people will celebrate a conversion or a baptism, and they sit back and they think, well, what are you so excited about? You're making too much of this. You're taking this too seriously. Somebody in worship may raise their hand or the choir may break loose and get excited, so excited they nearly break the roof on the place and they think, ah, you're a bit showy. You're showing off. Unmoved by the work of God. But there's a fourth mark of a hardened heart, and that is unchanged. Unchanged. Chapter 8, in beginning in verse 5, talks about the plague of the frogs. Uh, the Lord uh, sends, uh, go, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh again, says, let my people go. If you don't, you're going to be invaded by countless numbers of frogs. Well, Pharaoh's magicians come along, and without consulting with him first, they increase the number of frogs. And I can imagine Pharaoh saying, no more frogs, no more frogs. But that's what they end up doing nevertheless. And then I want you to notice what happens. Let's begin reading in verse number 5 of chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with the rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. Now he's cracking some. He's about to rescind. He's about to start agreeing with Moses and Aaron. In verse number 8, look there. Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, that is shouting ground. Finally, Pharaoh gets it. The frogs have gotten to him. He gets it. He's about to let the people go. Well... He says, go ask the Lord to take away the frogs. Moses agrees to, and look what happens to Pharaoh in verse number 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord said. Here's what happened to Pharaoh, and it happens to a lot of people. They get in trouble with God. They're frightful. They decide to change. But when there is relief, they go back to their old way of behavior. We might just be dealing with a hardened heart, someone that is not, does not have a plan to deliberately obey and apply the Word of God. I can just imagine, oh God, if I'm not pregnant, we'll never do it again. And then right back to that same behavior. Oh, if those blue lights are not for me, I won't speed anymore. And then right back to that behavior. If she will not call the police, I'll never hit her again. And then right back to that behavior. In other words, relief comes and the pressure's off, and it is not followed with change. We might be dealing with a hardened heart. 
okay, David, you've got me. I'm afraid I've got this. I want to change. I want something different. How do I go about deliberately applying God's Word to my life? How do I go about deliberately obeying God's Word? I don't want a hardened heart. I don't want anything to do with it. Let me give you some hope here. Let me say to you, if you believe your heart is hardened today, it can become tender. It doesn't take much. It can become tender. If your heart is tender, you can prevent it from becoming hard by taking note of the following things that we'll share with you, okay? Here is a deliberate plan to obey the Word of God. Here's what you do. When you read a passage of Scripture, when you study a passage of Scripture, when you hear a sermon, if you hear something on Christian radio, if you hear a podcast, this is what you do, all right? And I want to give you an acrostic, uh, the acrostic space. S, is there a sin in this for me to confess? Uh, John would promise us uh, on behalf of God uh, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not a liberal judge. He is completely justified. He's completely just in forgiving us our sins because Jesus Christ purchased that at the cross. And so the good news is today, there is enough grace, there's enough love, and there's enough power in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from every bit of your guilt and make your relationship with God eternally secure, never to suffer any degree of instability ever for all eternity. That's what God is able to do through the death and resurrection of Christ if you simply confess and place your faith in Him. So as you're studying a biblical text, as you hear a sermon, as you hear a podcast, as you hear some exposure to Christian truth, instead of not applying it, deliberately ask yourself the question, is there in this a sin to confess? But P is promise. Is there a promise to claim? In other words, as God made a promise in this text that I can go before Him in prayer and claim and collect and ask Him to fulfill it. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20 say, All the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen. When Jesus died and rose again, He purchased all the promises of God and bestowed the spoils of them upon all believers. Jesus has won the war. He's collected all the spoils. There are more than 7,000 promises for the children of God. And so there may be in the text under consideration to which you've been exposed a promise to take before God in prayer and to collect on it when you go to Him. So S, sin to confess. P, a promise to claim. A, an attitude to change. An attitude to change. 2 Corinthians 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. This morning is about an attitude to change. Instead of just simply coming into worship and exposing ourselves to truth without any deliberate plan to obey God, we change our attitude. We come in and we think, I need to deliberately obey God's Word and the biblical text to which I've been exposed this morning. In my small group or Sunday school time, I come in with the deliberate attitude of obeying the Word of God and intentionally applying it to life. So is there an attitude that I need to change? See, is there a command I need to obey? Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said in verse 21 and 23 of John 14, 
that if you will do that, then my Father and I will make our home with you. In other words, you never make a mistake by obeying God's commands. They are the way to a greater, stronger relationship with God. Now, we don't get grace by obedience. Oh, no, not at all. Our obedience is not that impressive to God. But we do get close to Him, and He blesses the obedient heart and life. So is there a biblical command that you've looked at in the text to which you've been exposed that you can implement into your own life? And so a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an attitude to change, a command to obey, and then finally, is there an example to follow? Well, Moses and Aaron example in Exodus 5 and 7 and 8 is quite an example. They put everything on the line. And they had the attitude, no matter what it takes, we're going to obey God, even if that means we need to stand before the most powerful ruler in the world with our teeth chattering and our knees knocking, we're going to obey God and share with him the word of God. What a great example. And then Pharaoh's example would be one that we don't emulate and that we do not follow. Well, here's what we do. We deliberately and purposefully and intentionally obey the Word of God. We develop a plan to do so. If what I've given you this morning is helpful, fine. If you've got a better plan, please run with it. But whatever you do, always make sure that when you're exposed to God's truth, you have a plan to deliberately apply it and not merely to be exposed to it. My prayer for you is that God will transform you from being merely a hearer to a doer of His Word. And you're going to find all the blessings from God that attend obedience coming your way if you do. So do it. What does that mean today? Do it. What does it mean for you to obey God today? What does God want you doing today? Could it be that He's been dealing with your heart and He's made it clear that you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior? In other words, you've got sin to confess, not just individual sins, but a whole life. And you come before him and you confess that and you turn it over to him and you trust his grace and you trust that he loves you and you trust that he's watching you and that he deeply, deeply cares about you now and in eternity and he will save and forgive and cancel all of your guilt and instantaneously make you a new person. Is that what God is moving on your heart to do today? We're going to sing a song in just a moment. We're going to ask you to come, and staff will be here to help you with it. Could it be you've already made that decision, but you need to follow Christ in baptism and do it biblically? He'd love to have you come. Does it mean you become part of Beach Haven as well? Is there someone that you might need to forgive? Is, is, there, is there some new Christian behavior that you need to start that God has been dealing with? Listen, if you developed a hardened heart, you probably need to go back to the last point of disobedience and pick up that part of God's command or His will and start there and then begin to move forward with Almighty God. If you will do that, today your heart can become tender and you can walk with God unlike any other time in your life before. Would you stand with me, please, and let's talk to God about it. Father, thank you for the good news of the Word and how we bless you and how we thank you for the truth of it. I want to pray for friends today, Lord, that now they would obey you. I pray that, Lord, you'd help them to deliberately apply the word now and today. And, Lord, develop that into a lifestyle as well. But help us not to worry about tomorrow. Help us to take care of now in this invitation time. And so I pray for abundant grace and abundant help in this time, Father, that friends 
may intentionally and deliberately obey your word and apply it to their lives. Now, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. And as we sing, let me encourage you to come. Please remember what the author of Hebrews said. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Let your heart be tender by deliberately applying God's word now. God can be trusted. Jesus is crucified. He's risen. God's a God of love, and he loves you. You can trust him. Don't harden your heart. Let's obey God and obey him now. Chris, lead us. Friends, last week you heard a report from uh, Michael Fry and our Great Commission Facilities Committee. Uh, they gave a great report. 
There's an important meeting this afternoon. We want to elicit your prayers in this invitation time. If you would like for our church family to do God's will with our Great Commission Facilities Committee uh, work, I want, you to ask you, I want to ask you to come join me at this altar, would you? I want you to come here and help us to pray for a little bit and ask God to bless us real good as we abandon our will and embrace the will of God. Would you come? Go ahead and join me at the altar here, if you will. And we're going to take a moment to pray and to pray for them. All right? Marvelous. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask our instrumentalist to continue to play. And maybe if there's some decision that you need to make, you come as well. We're here for you. Staff will be here. But I'm going to take a moment to pray for our folks and ask that we would do God's will when it comes to these matters. Father, in your providence and your great love, you gave us this property, oh God, more than 60 years ago. And Lord, it's been led.